Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Just Riding Along. Tonight's episode is either going to be called Boys Night Out or Moving Rocks. I haven't decided yet. We'll let Ben decide when he posts it. But that is tonight's show. Andrea is not with us. She is at a Salada Mountain Trails board meeting because she is on the board and she is important and she's doing that thing. So Kenny and I thought we would get together and update you guys pretty quickly and go from there. So is that like a PTA meeting for mountain biking? Oh God, you know, sure. Pretty much. Um, kind of like it's a thing for sure. There's a lot that goes on with a lot of mountain trails and they're a really great organization. They had a really awesome fundraising party about gosh, I don't even know dates anymore. I, I guess it was just like four days ago, but it, no, it had, it was two weeks ago. Sorry. It was like 11 days ago. It, everything is a blur. The last two weeks of life have been really busy. So it's been tough. Um, and for those of you that are like, wow, these guys stopped recording shows. Uh, life has been very hectic for everyone. I think that Kenny would agree with me on that. Yeah. I mean, other than being busy in the shop. Yeah. You know, same shit for me. Oh, I guess um, we've had a little bit harder time as our lives got super busy aligning lives. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. That is very true. So with that said, this is a show and Andrea is not with us. So the big news of moving house is going to be mostly glossed over, but we moved and that took a lot of work. So since we recorded last, Salada Mountain Trails had their annual fundraiser, or Andrea closed on her house, Salada Mountain Trails had their annual fundraiser. We moved with Levi's help. Thanks, dude. I know you listen. You're the man. Fucking put my dick in the dirt. Guy can move some stuff for sure. Uh, And then we had a housewarming party, and then we had a demo day and 20th anniversary party at the shop, and then we're here. So, yeah, it's been a lot of stuff. Uh, what about you, Kenny? What's been going on? Oh, I've been trying to ride. It is basically the Pacific Northwest out here right now. Dear I have no God. fucking idea what's going on. It has been raining here for pretty much solid two to three weeks. I don't know what it's like in Colorado. Similar-ish. Yeah. It's crazy. So unfortunately, the big mountain riding, I'm like really worried. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that until like mid-July or something if you want to go all the way up. So yeah, we'll see on that. So that's a bummer, but been able to ride here and there. Took a couple of trips out of town. I went to Grand Junction to pre-ride with some Grand Junction off-road people. That's a pretty uh, pretty big time race with some heavy hitter folks and rode with some super fast people, which is always uh, always humbling. But yeah, that was, ooh, man, I rode uh, for all the people out there in listener land who like to hear familiar trails. I rode uh, Butterknife, and that's just a hard all-rounder. Like, goddamn. I mean, you got to be, you know, technical climbing, some technical descending. Not like a ton of technical descending, really. But man, that's just like a physically whole body, just fuck you trail. I think it has a thousand feet of descending but you climb like 2000 feet in there somewhere or something ridiculous. I don't know. It's crazy, but that's, um, yeah. If you can be fast on butter knife, um, then you're good at bikes. I will put it that way. What else have I been doing? I got some new brakes. What'd you get? My trusty 988, my 988 XTR trails, the full Chrome ones, the, the, uh, mono block, um, caliper dealies love those brakes like they're so those are the benchmark to which all of the brakes should be compared in my opinion and yeah i bought those maybe two years ago they were like new old stock and i just wanted to i never actually owned any even though i worked on them all the time on customer bikes now it's just sick of sram problems uh with multiple guys that i had and all that stuff so it was definitely shimano time for me and yeah so i got those anyway they unfortunately they died. Uh, they started puking fluid out of the uh, out of the lever, 
kind of in the master cylinder. That's where I see most of my Shimano failures. I don't know if you see the same thing, Matt. I do. And I want to cover that. We can come back like to that. The yeah. bore. Okay. Well, anyway, they died. No big deal. Like, yeah, they were two years old and I rode them hard. Probably rode them beyond what they're supposed to do. Uh, but anyway, good brakes and uh, Shimano uh, XTR stuff, by the way, for all you folks out there who do not realize it, XTR and Durachi, um, they both have three-year warranties, which is pretty stout for components on a bicycle. So they actually hooked me up. Um, I ended up kind of through the shop. I did a little trade. They upgraded me to the 9000 series brakes, the 9020s, the trails, which I didn't really want. I just never really loved those brakes. Something about those were, yeah, just didn't really like them. They're kind of flexy at the lever. I don't want a carbon lever blade. Um, I just didn't want those brakes. So I traded those into the shop and uh, paid a decent amount extra. And I got some brand spanking new 9120s. So the the new, new quad piston XTR jobbies. And yeah, they're good. Right. They have the little with, brace, with the brace huh? on the lever. Oh yeah. They got the little extra, they got the little extra dongle, the little third leg on the, on the lever there. So a couple things about them. One is I like the brace because it makes the lever feel awesome. Two is I don't like the brace because it really limits where you Fuck can yeah, put controls. So I can't get my dropper exactly where I want it. And I can't put, by the way, Shimano, Shimano makes these not compatible with old DI shifters. So I'm still running mine. I just have to reach way the fuck over my bar to shift. But come on, Shimano. Like, dude, it's it's your stuff. Uh, but yep, they just don't care. It's not compatible. It it's basically sits so far inboard that it's pretty much unusable. So I'll have to figure just something out. Just get a climbing shifter and zip tie it in place. Um, You know what? I really could, and maybe I should, and it'd work fine. Like, I don't care. I could maybe get one of those um, one of those little old school K-Edge pod thingies or something like that. I'll figure something out. I don't know. It works. Like, it's not ideal. It needs to be over almost 10 millimeters to uh, to my right to the uh, outboard to make it proper. But, like, like closer uh, to the grip. It needs to be closer to the grip. It works. It works but it's not ideal. Uh, the dropper, I have kind of got to work around for that, but it's not uh, really ideal either. So yeah, Shimano ergonomics. Come on. I think they needed to do a better job on that, but the rigidity of the lever is awesome. It's got an alloy lever blade, which is awesome. Uh, what else about them? They make, um, they make insane power and they've got a really good feel. They're really solid. They are really expensive. If it was my uh, hard-earned money, I don't know that I would spend seven hundred dollars on two brakes. That's pretty. That's pretty crazy. But they're nice. I don't know. I'll give them a shot. I'll let you guys know how they go long term. But so far, so good. I think that's the only new new stuff on my bike. I'm finally doing some TLC. My poor bike has just gotten the shit ridden out of it, and I just haven't. Uh, I'm just you know when you work on bikes all day, and I work like long days. I'm kind of not in the mood to work on my bike, but I need to do fork wipers and all that stuff. Fox has a new seal driver for all the techie folks out there. Um, Some home gamers out there who do their own fork maintenance um, or maybe people who work in shops. New seal driver for 32, 34, and 36 from Fox, and it fully captures the seal. And it has a guide pin, a big old Delrin thing, basically, and it guides uh, guides that seal in. You just whale it with a hammer, and it just goes in perfect. Pretty oh, cool. so like the guide pin now runs on the bushing to put it in straight? Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. So pretty cool. I got oh, a yeah. tool this week we ordered. I didn't touch it yet, but yep. it was supposed to be What'd coming. What'd you get? Uh, wheels Manufacturing Dub Bearing Drift, which is pretty oh, cool. Yeah. I think... Almost all the Wheels Manufacturing stuff is really good. Like all their bearing press stuff's really cool. You can buy all that stuff a la carte. Like you can get a single size you know drift i guess if you want to call it but yeah all pretty cool and what i feel really stupid about is i was i tried to buy those at one point and they didn't exist yet and i just used something else for a long time and then i was like Mm -hmm. oh 
right. I should look and see if that exists. And of course it exists now because, you know, it's like been out for a long enough that there's stuff, you know, and it's like, oh, cool. So I ordered them and they're really cheap. I think even at retail, they're like $9 a piece or something. And you, and you can order them individually, which is really cool. So. Yep. Yep. But I just looked it up, man, because I didn't know how much those Hayes Dominion brakes that I've been running cost. That's a lot of money for those XTR brakes. Dude, they're $360 each. Like, holy shit. That's crazy. The, um, I think the old my gen, the 988, I think they were like two, two fifty ish. Right. Uh, and then the new ones, the 9100s, the trails went to 300 or 320 each. And now these are up to 360 a piece. Like, damn. Got them. I mean, I guess the only consolation is, yeah, is that they have, uh, they've got a three-year warranty, but damn, like that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It is. So I'm riding Shimano brakes again, very begrudgingly. <laughs> uh, so what are you riding? XT two pistons. Wow. Because that's a good break though. I mean, some people don't like the initial like bite, but they just kind of work other than every once in a while, the, you know, you'll get unlucky and a lever will explode. Um, they usually explode slowly though. So the, they'll let you know they weep fluid out and it just basically coats the entire lever with a fine mist, uh, a dick mist, if you will. And then, yeah, it like dribbles in its underpants for a while and then it goes full incontinent. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the interesting thing is <laughs> this happened to an SLX brake I had on my bike. So for a minute I was running one XTR and one SLX. So I was too lazy route to the internal stuff, swap the brake out that came on my, <laughs> that came on my factory stump jumper and the rear SLX also puked out of the lever. So maybe I like pull levers weird or get too much heat in them or I don't know. No telling, but it was my rear brake that died. What else we got going on? We have listener listener questions. What else is going on? Um, I was gonna get to that. I was just I had to I had to tell you what what I got to finish complaining about my XT two piston brakes because Oh yeah, yeah, go for it. I think those brakes are are really, really bad. Um personally. Really? I Man, do. Why don't you like them? Um Well sorry, but like I'm gonna like throw not Yeti under the bus. That's not the right way to put it. But like, I just don't understand when a why don't why don't you why don't you keep it keep it okay it's a high level. I'm very confused by the product spec that Yeti put on the SB130 GX comp build. I'm really confused because it's 2019 and. If we go back in time, I understand that people want to run Shimano brakes because people think that Avid brakes are going to kill you and they're the worst things ever and everyone hates them and you're going to die if you run them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't necessarily agree with those opinions, but I can understand that stance because selling Avid brakes was very hard and still can be hard to certain customers in certain markets. And the other side of that coin is selling Shimano stuff was very hard because of the way it was on the market. But I don't understand this bike. The most entry-level bike is guide four pistons. And then one step up from entry-level is Shimano two pistons. And I'm just so confused. And I understand it's a price thing because a Shimano brake in four piston is going to cost more than like a guide R or guide RS. Like an XT four piston is going to be much more expensive than that brake, even at OEM. And it would have driven that cost difference in a different way. But I just don't understand what is legitimately like a brake downgrade on that. And I would love to talk to the product spec team at a company and say, I want you to poll your company. Who in the company is running a Fox 36 or Pike equipped bike with two piston brakes? 
report back to me who is doing that in the industry. I mean, in general, I think that's a pretty good, I mean, outside of maybe a dirt jumper guy, I don't know why you would ever, yeah, that that's really bizarre for sure. I mean, that's a very good gauge 36. Like you, you should never run a two piston brake on a 36 and, stanchion fork. And I guess a Pike DJ and a Fox 36, 831, you know, the two dirt jump forks, I don't even count those in. Those don't really count. Like those are outliers. No, because they might not even have a front brake, you know, like, like that's true. Yeah. Like they don't need, they need enough brakes to not hit a pole in the parking lot. Not enough brakes to descend, you know, a thousand feet in, or let's say pretty legitimately a 700 or 800 feet in 20 minutes, you know, like that's pretty fun descent. I'm I'm thinking of a certain descent and it's real fun to do, you know. And I've been riding those haze brakes. So I've been riding those haze brakes on super knobby tires, those terrain chunk tires with a Fox 34 on a hardtail. So you would think on the squishy bike with an XR4. So I went a little aggressively slim on the tire because high country season's still far away and I wanted to be able to go uphill a little bit better. So by not installing the stock tires, but running these tires, I saved about 400 and change grams of rotational weight out of the bike. So bike climbs really well like that. Sure, it doesn't go downhill that awesome, but I don't have 2,500 foot descents at my disposal right now. So by the time I do, I'll run those heavy tires. Um, But, you know, I just, I was, I was literally descending on the bike and like, I, I no joke. I was like, my hands hurt from squeezing on the brakes. Like I wasn't, Oh, I don't like these brakes. I don't like these brakes. Oh, my fingers hurt. Like I literally like let off the brakes and I was like, God, I need to rest my fingers. And I'm like, Holy shit. That's weird. Like, why am I in a situation where my fingers hurt from breaking? So that's a real bummer. But so do you like brakes that have barely any pull until they engage? Some people like that. They want it to be like, if you pull on your brake, it's engaged. Kind of a motorcycle brake style, I guess. I don't really like that. I like having a little bit of free stroke there. No, I'm talking about like, if you used a stress gauge, like how hard I was pulling the brakes. No, it's not that. I'm more just wondering in general on the Hayes Dominion brakes because reading tech documents on them, they're saying that we wanted to have the shortest amount of dead pull as possible. Oh, I know what you're saying now. Like you, you're talking about like when you pull the lever, the brake does this and it starts working immediately. Yeah. And, and it's a very different thing too, because I don't want to just pull the lever and it flop and do nothing for no good reason. I want to actually be moving the piston the entire time. I just want to, because I want to be able to work that piston in and know exactly where it's at. I don't want just floppy. This whole free stroke adjust bullshit should go away in fire. Um, I'm talking about the actual amount of built-in uh, movement of like the ratio of master cylinder movement to piston movement and how much piston retraction you get and all that good stuff. I like to pull the brake, get a decent amount of feel and moving those pistons and everything. I don't like the on-off brake as in like you pull it two millimeters and it's engaged. That's just me. Maybe I get used to that. And I'm going to answer your okay. question differently is I want my brakes to skid at a certain point off the bar. Okay. So imagine you're right before it skids or right like on pavement like right before the front tire like started to lift the rear end off the ground i want that you know that's about the same like point in the brake you know and i want that to be at a certain place and i don't care about anything else like i just adjust the dials on the lever until that point is where i want it and i don't care about anything else gotcha does that make sense? It like, does. Wherever that feels, I just know that in front of that, it's like a little bit of brake, a lot of brake. Holy shit, let's slow all the way down brake. And if I really try, I can pull it to the bar sitting in the parking lot. And people go, oh, God, your brake lever will touch the bar. And I usually reach over to theirs that they have cranked all the way out. And I'm like, well, yours does too if you push it hard enough. 
So I'm looking but, at these. Do you run their special rotors? Because they're actually wider than normal. Yeah, they're a 2.0 rotor. So I have uh, Phil from Hayes came by the shop, and he fully made it rain on me. So I got 180 front, 180 rear rotor with their brakes, their adapters. It's 100% Hayes product, ran exactly how they said, followed the bleed instructions, set it up exactly how they wanted me to with all the parts they wanted me to run. Cool. And I use the no the resin pads because it ships with both pads. Gotcha. And I ran the quiet ones, but I might get a pair of those brakes for my SB one thirty. They're really good. They just work really well. Yeah, I want to try them. Um, I've never even pulled on one, so I'm totally I'm willing to give those a shot. I'm willing to give Maguro's a shot. Tell you what, those MT eights they're pretty decent. I want to hate those things, man. and they're sketchy light. However, for a two-piston brake with those race pads, like they don't fuck around. And they're like, um, good God, they're light. I don't think there's anything else lighter than them at all. You know, the... Uh, I just don't... Uh, I, I just don't want to run haste brake or uh, Magura brakes. If It's interesting. If you go look... Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean that much, but go look at the World Cup. There's a lot of people on the start line at the World Cup running those things. Pretty interesting. I know, but when you bleed them, I feel like to bleed a Magura break, you pretty much just open a bottle of royal blood and just shake it everywhere. Like, it's the dirtiest bleed <laughs> procedure in the entire world. It's just, yeah. just pour fluid through the system. Pour more fluid, not pour, you're pushing fluid from the bottom up. Pushing from the bottom up, and it's there's not a fitting that screws in. You just cram a syringe in there with no plunger in it. And it's just like, dear Lord, like it just feels very, it seems like they built a hydraulic brake in like 1987. And they're like, okay, you just have to push fluid out of the top. And somebody's like, what if we used a syringe? So it didn't all hit the floor, but just most of it hit the floor. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And then they just never made it any better. Like, just make a little jobby that screws in there for me with a little plunger, like the Shimano bleed cup on the top. Yeah, that. I mean, I wish people could learn from the uh, from the Shimano bleed cup situation because that thing works pretty damn good. Yeah, and they're the best part about it is like I think every mechanic in the world, when someone says, "Well, I know when a customer comes in, they say that they have they need a Shimano, they have a Shimano brake that needs to be bled." It either means that someone tried to bleed it before for no good reason and they messed it up or the brake is broken. Very rarely does a Shimano brake truly actually need to be bled. Uh, you missed, one interesting thing about you it. You missed one other huge thing though right then. Uh, what's that? Customer walks in the door. I need you to bleed my brake. Mm, okay. What's going on with it? It's really mushy. Okay. Oh, your rotor's 1.2 millimeters thick. There's your problem. Oh, that's, yeah. That's the oh, most yeah. common thing. Like, my brake needs to be bled. No, your your shit's all worn out. Your brake hardware needs to be replaced. <laughs> and I truly believe at that time the fluid should be flushed. But, yeah, you're right. They usually don't need to be bled. And, and they, they kind of self-heal. So unless you are running on the backing plate of your pads and or backing plate of your pads and your rotor is half the thickness that it came from the factory. Um, I, I had a guy with on both front and rear with 0.8 mil thick rotors. I didn't really think that was possible. They're basically razor blades at that point. It was crazy. Um, the brakes still somehow kind of sort of worked, which made no sense. But anyway, back to the Shimano thing. Well, I know what, the, uh, go ahead. But that customer had been lever bleeding their brakes. They had just been screwing the little cup in the top and adding fluid. Screwing the cup in the top and adding fluid. I don't know that he ever actually did. I don't think he ever messed with his bike. But uh, that's why I was surprised that it was that it was working. But anyway, back to the Shimano bleed thing. The It is crazy, though. I think Shimano, that Shimano mineral oil does not like being old. When they get about two years old, it will be basically a glittery silver black uh, consistency in there. It's nasty. Like stuff deteriorates for sure inside of those brakes, whether it's seals or little bits of aluminum or whatever. I don't really know, but I've had people's brakes that do weird stuff and like they have a good bleed. Like the actual bleed is solid. No problem with it. And the brakes just do weird shit. They just don't feel and right. It doesn't make any sense in my head. 
no, they don't feel right. And it doesn't make any sense in my head. And I've done it multiple times now and just done a full blown flush on Shimano's and holy shit, if it's not amazing all of a sudden. And I really don't think it's an actual bleed thing because I've actually bled it kind of with most of that old fluid still in there. But if you actually push it all out and flush it out and put all freshy fluid in there, damn, I think it's crazy. Um, I think I know the answer as to, so this is a two part thing here because this is the only time I don't like Shimano's bleed process because someone somewhere said, do not push fluid up on an, a nasty break, you know, so don't push from the caliper into the cup, make sure you do a proper gravity bleed. So the brake flushes better and you don't flush any of that crap into the lever. You let it all run through the caliper and out. And I'm like, okay, like I'll bite. You told me to do that and you know what you're doing. Sure. But, um, I wish, and I've had those breaks like where they don't want to gravity bleed and you have to remove the bleed nipple altogether to get a bigger hole to flow through. And I've even, and this is where they could make a big improvement is I've used my mouth over the cup because it just wouldn't like, it was trickling out with the bleed port all the way out or the bleed nipple all the way out. It'd be great if they had, I mean, that sounds like you have a line obstruction, like a bad barb olive situation or full no, of crud or something. It's, it's, a hundred percent pond water brake fluid every time because once you get it to flow and you get like a fluid exchange and all fresh fluid in that system and then bleed it it feels perfect again so i wish they had a a big top load syringe where i could take the caliper off the bike and let it dangle and pull the bleed nipple out and then just flush you know like a hat or I don't know, a half a cup, a quarter cup of fluid through the system, like immediately. And it'd be really cool if I could then maybe take like that plunger and run it dry and push air through the system and just blow all the old shit out and then do a proper gravity bleed and put fresh fluid in because I think it would work so much better. Uh, it would be faster is what I'm getting at. Uh, we're We're actually at the point where that's the only way that we bleed Shimano brakes really is like you're getting new pads, new rotor. Like I'm, I'm going to let pink fluid run out the bottom and then bleed it. Because if not, you know, you're just piling on top of that old crap again and again and again, and it's just never going to be right. You know? Yeah. But definitely it seems like, and it sounds like you have a very similar experience as reliable as Shimano brakes generally are in my experience. They do not like having old fluid. You can have some like old nasty ass dot five. Um, you know, maybe that's an argument for dot five is you can, I've seen some old ass system with some old ass fluid and they work great. So yeah. Maybe and I think definitely it. it has to do with, uh, so this is something I learned at Stu is there's a bunch of additives in Shimano mineral oil that raise the boiling point to like 300 and something degrees, like way higher than standard mineral oil. Mm-hmm. And over time, it may be a degradation yep. of those additives. It may be, I don't think it's a breakdown inside of the system because I've had Shimano brakes puke through the lever with, you know, fresh pink fluid and I've had them do it with pond water. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. I don't think the seals are falling apart in the lever. I think the lever is just junk on those brakes. And at some point it's just going to puke on you. No, I've had a similar experience. I've definitely seen custom, like all, all across the board, you know, uh, my brakes had uh, pretty freshy fluid in there because so I made sure of that uh, when mine started puking out. And I've definitely seen customers with black pond water also uh, go out of exploded levers. It's 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 problematic, you know, and it's everyone's like, oh, yeah, this one just puked. And it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And Shimano's like, nothing. It's like, oh, cool. You know, <laughs> no, without a doubt. Like, let's be real here. As much as, I mean, we've always been on this train of, you know, for the most part, SRAM will take care of their stuff. Certain situations where they don't, but, uh, or they don't want to admit that there's a problem, but they generally take care of their stuff. Whereas for sure with Shimano, yeah, they, uh, (laughs) they're, they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt so much. No, definitely not. And you know, SRAM kind of gave my buddy the finger the other day. Uh, you know those SRAM, like, non-series carbon cranks, like the 
I don't remember what they're called. The seven K descendant, the, the, the stylo. Yeah. Stylo seven K, you know, the carbon one, one of those just snapped. Mm -hmm. Like he clipped a pedal. Sure. He clipped a pedal, but the crank arm just snapped in half and pointed off at like 90 degrees to the bike. Damn. Once we, he, he rode back to the shop with his heel on the, uh, like on the spindle nub kind of sticking out and his foot just kind of like resting on top of the arm, like coasting and skateboarding with his seat post down. And like, once he was back at the shop, he like just broke it off. He just didn't want to have to carry it if he, you know, he didn't break it off on the trail so he could like hopefully not have to hold it in his hand and skateboard his bike back. But he like sent Shama, uh, Shram like a photo and mm -hmm. or called him and they were like, never had that happen. And I think he sent him a photo and like they were just like, never seen it before. Warranty denied. And it's like, man, fuck. <laughs> like, really? Like, I get it. Like, he clipped a pedal, but like also like the crank <laughs> arm just snapped off. Like, it wasn't. It was, it's kind of weird. So who knows? That's life. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely argue that clipping a pedal or your, uh, is very different than you running a bike into a garage or running your bike over with a van or your bike, you know, rocketing down the mountain with you not on it. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, those are different situations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think kind of goes back to bike companies specking weird things. Like, I don't know if the bike he was riding really should have had a carbon crank on it. It was a uh, Santa Cruz Mega Tower. Like, probably doesn't need a carbon crank arm. Probably needs a good old metal one, you know. If nothing else, just so you can rally it through rocks for, like, seasons and seasons and not wear a hole in the end of your crank arm from pedal strikes. You know what's crazy? I'm still on my uh, race face next SLs. Your second set, right? I bought those like the, mm, yes and no. <laughs> I bought those like the day they came out. But that's not the same arms. In 2015, the spindle and one of the arms, I don't remember which one they replaced, to be honest. But yes, I got one arm replaced maybe about a year in. Yeah. It developed. Uh, the knock. Yeah. Some parts came, a, some parts came, a, came apart inside and we're flopping around. Now what's interesting is my crank didn't just break and it didn't separate. Like I've seen on some other people. Oh, that's like the right. Pedal insert or at the spindle. You had Mine the, just kind of was a maraca for whatever reason. Yeah. You had the world's most expensive maraca. I did. I did. Yeah. But anyway, I'm still rocking those things. They're, uh, they're good. I should probably retire them because they're, they're really old. Put them on a bar bike. I already have a pair of next SLs on a bar bike. Ooh, just swap them then. Wow. I guess I could. Yeah. Like put the low mile arms on the high mile bike. <laughs> yep. Um, it might be time. Uh, there's there's a lot of things, man. I, I want to buy. I want to buy all the things. You want those buy e wings, like a, don't you? I want to buy a cross country bike. I want to buy an even bigger bike. I want to buy an e bike. I want to buy a road bike. Oh, oh. I don't think we can talk about this on air. I think I know what cross country bike you want. <laughs> all right. Well, we can talk about it off the air. Ah, oh, jeez, because it's really good. It's like a very good <laughs> out west cross cross country bike, but I don't know if we can talk about it yet. Yeah, oh. is it the is it the new is it the new Trek? Well, I don't know when the embark. You can just say yes or no, and they and they can't get mad at us. Well, is there going to be a Trek bike? <laughs> I'll check the embargo date, but yeah, that bike. We'll just move forward. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, so race face cranks, they're good. You haven't broken them yet, much, in the normal ways. Well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I've I've seen of all the broken cranks I've seen, I've seen a lot of broken next sls more than any other car we had crank. one a while back race face was like send a video and the guy's like it's really hard to tell from the video and i was like i'm gonna send you another video and i sent him another video and i was like and i called right back and he's like i haven't got a chance to look and i'm like no offense man but like i need an answer for the customer like this customer's a very polite guy but he is not enjoying the fact that his like XTR DI2 carbon wheeled pivot with carbon cranks and the fanciest of everything 
when he bought it is just not rideable and we can't give him an answer on when it will be rideable. So can you look at that video? And he's like clicking around and like going for it. And I was like, it's a race face next to SL crank that knocks at the spindle bond. I was like, no offense. I'm not telling you something that you should be surprised about. And the guy like chuckles and he's like, oh, video's cool. I'll put some cranks in the mail. I'm like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like, come on. Well, that's what's so weird to me. I, I get this. This will be a little, not a rant. It's just something that I see a lot of bikes. We're a fucking big dealer and we deal with some big brands. Like we do specialized, we do Trek, we do Scott, we do Cannondale. Um, and yes, we have, I mean, we see percentage wise. So epics and stump jumpers, we sell the living shit out of those. So anything that they're specced with, we see a lot of. So I see an inordinate amount of guides. I see a huge amount of levels. Uh, So I'm a little jaded on that. We actually don't see as many Shimanos as people used to because for a little while there, everybody was scared of SRAM, so everybody spec Shimano. And we're kind of getting back away from that, which is fine. So percentage-wise, without a doubt, I see way more SRAM stuff. Almost all the drivetrain stuff we have is SRAM. All one-by stuff. Generally all really good, right? But anyway, the moral of the story is, like, I see a lot of shit. And when I see the same stuff over and over again, like, you know, (laughs) and I get the same politically correct answer from companies. Oh, yeah, you know, we've never seen that before. Bullshit. Bullshit. You've never seen that before. Like, that's just don't you don't need to placate me. Like, just tell me, say, hey, I'm going to take care of it or I'm not like I don't need to get the whole run around like, oh, well, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I've never never seen that before. Next SL cranks. Come on. We since I've been at this shop, I've warranted 10 pairs. That's a pretty high percentage in my book. Like that's a lot of them. Now, granted, we have a lot of customers with those cranks because they're for the longest time, they were kind of like the lightest thing you could get. But we warranted a lot of them, just like, you know, from SRAM brakes or this or that. Like there's certain stuff I see a lot. And it's just so funny when I call and, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm not some random tiny podunk bike shop. Like I'm telling you this because I have a bike that is either brand new on the floor that's already broken that I need to get out the door because I sold it. Uh, (laughs) That's usually what it is. That's what's the most frustrating part is when I build a bike up and it's brand spanking new and it does not work the way it's supposed to. Like that's just not okay in any way, shape or form. So anyway, just someone at home listening is probably like, yeah, well, if a customer doesn't have the bike yet, that's better for you because the the customer isn't unhappy with you actually from a business sense having inventory that you can't put out for sale is a really bad problem because generally every company is giving us dating and whether that dating is going to be somewhere between 30 and 180 days depending on what brand you're working with and what you and that company do so like let's say company a 30 days no matter who you are pound sand you're a top 10 dealer it doesn't matter you get 30 days. Other brands are like, well, you spend 2 million a year and you're a top 10 dealer. You get 120, 160 days, whatever. And if a bike sits dead, not only taking up space in the, let's call it service area, but just sits dead for 25 or 30 days. By the time the bike industry decides to work five days a week, because I mean, let's face it, it's 2019 and business happens seven days a week. I'm still not over that. You're never going to get me to stop losing my mind about that. But if something just sits dead for even, let's say 15 days, that's a, that's half of your potential, like, uh, let's call it, um, uh, dating on that product because you need to sell that product before it's due. So you can give the company their portion and then keep your portion to pay your other bills, your employees, your rent, your light bill, all that shit. So a bike sitting dead in the shop is a huge problem. It is. You know, it's a massive problem. And also the, I mean, I'd say that one in, what's an accurate number? I'm going to say one in 20 bikes that we build has some major problem where we cannot, we cannot with good confidence, give it to the customer. 
could be a shipping damage thing that we just have to take care of. It's got a, you know, a paint chip or, you know, something crazy, a crank got bent or who knows what. So there's some of that stuff that's just transportation. That's really nobody's fault. Um, but I mean, the number of bikes, if you look in my system right now, I mean, granted, we're a, we're a really big shop and we do a lot of volume. However, it's insane. If you look under our account for our shop, which is all the bikes that are assigned that have an issue that I have to go chase down. It's a lot. I mean, I probably got 10 bikes right now that I've got to go babysit for some reason or another. And it's not me being a crybaby. I mean, stuff happens, but it's just crazy. And that's why it's really frustrating when a, I'm sitting on a whole shitload of money, B it takes up a lot of space and C it takes a ton of my time to make sure I got to go discover the problem, get with the company, see if we can come up with a resolution wait for that product, install it, make sure it works. Like there's so many steps that are involved. And on top of this, the, so many companies will fight with you, A, about even giving you a goddamn new product, which is ridiculous. Like, hey, I'm not even asking for a whole new bike. I need this one part that's broken out of the box. Like it's not right. Send me a new one. They want to argue with you about that. And then number two, they don't give you any fucking compensation for your time on dealing with this stuff. Like no, in like the car industry, it doesn't work that way. They, you know, they would cover your time as a shop to do that stuff. And like, you have to fight tooth and nail for them to give you anything to even remotely compensate. It's crazy. Um, and yeah, so it's just so, it's so frustrating, especially what'll happen a lot of times because stuff moves really fast these days. We might not have a particular model in stock. We order it up, comes in from, specialize or trek or whatever i go whip this thing together and because the customer wants it we're going to try to get it turned around in 24 hours or something crazy like that from time of ordering to receiving to built to the customer and then fuck a brake's broken like god damn it <laughs> so now i've got a customer who's frustrated i've got to go spend a shitload of my time fixing the problem and then i got to go argue with the damn company saying that i don't know what i'm talking about like man it's it's insane not only do you have a problem let's say but you have a problem, but you're not building that bike. Let's say one of your more junior mechanics is building that bike and they don't even know they can't, uh, how do I put this? Like they spend two to three times the manpower person time, let's call it figuring before they go, uh, Hey Kenny, there's something wrong. I've been trying to adjust this for 30 minutes and it won't work. No, that's true. That's true, right? Because yeah, I, I don't want uh, I don't want my most junior guy asking me a question every three seconds, right? Like ideally, yeah, he's going to be trained really well. But until you see a ton of these and know exactly, like, hey, this is right. It's not you not being able to align a brake properly. It's because the damn pistons don't <laughs> don't retract. Like you could be the best mechanic in the world, you're not going to get that to not rub. Like there's a it's a mechanical problem with that brake. You know whether Specialized bled it wrong or whatever, you know, 90 things happened, or, you know, we live at too high an altitude, or, you know, it's a Tuesday, or whatever weird reason I get for the brakes not working. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, though. Right, or the crank arm spent, and the mechanic spends, didn't notice out of the box, right, like, and then spends all this time getting the bike together, and worst case, this is absolute worst case, you know, you don't know the crank spent yet. The uh, customer calls, hey, is that bike in? And you go, you know what? It's in Sally's stand right now or Jimmy's finishing it up or whatever. And then they go and test ride the bike and come back and go, uh, Kenny, the, I, I've used three test ride pedals. It's got to be the crank. The crank's bent on this. You know, like, Jesus, really? You know, like, and that might not be Trek or Specialized or Yeti or whoever. That may be. FedEx just like ran the truck over or the box over with the truck. And then we're like, oh, just give it to them. You know, like you never know, but there's like a million little thing. Well, it's really just, it's the, it's the whole process that people don't understand. People think that bikes magically come and that you bolt three things on them and they're ready to go. And like, that's just not the case. In some cases you get pretty lucky and the stuff's set up pretty well, but you still have to at least put an experienced eye on every single last thing. Cause there's so many ways in which these things can be wrong. And I've seen everything be wrong. I've seen every last part on a bike be bent or broken or weird or whatever. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot that there's a lot that goes into it. Um, 
So it's just, it makes it so frustrating when you're trying to move product quickly and get people happy because we're living in a society that's, you know, wants everything done yesterday. Um, yeah. So it's so frustrating when we have to sit on product and sit on money and, you know, have customers that don't understand how a, you know, bite cannot be right, you know, being brand new. It's a, uh, it's an interesting thing. You know, the number of, the number of things that are not correct out of the box is pretty surprising. You know, I, I'd be interested to see people in other industries to see if they have a similar issue. You know, are people putting together, um, you know, that work at a moto type shop, putting together side-by-sides and, you know, uh, moto bikes and all that kind of stuff. Are they seeing a similar thing or are those things pretty much dialed? You know, obviously I'm sure they still got to do a whole build process. Not saying that there's is easy at all, probably more complicated actually. Uh, but I'm just curious, like, do you, do you folks out there see that many failures? It just seems very bizarre. You know, I guess a good question for that would yeah. be, uh, you know, if we looked at the moto industry, I wonder if like Honda is shipping to, how do I put this? Like, uh, say you had a dealer in Salida, are they jetting them for 7,000 feet before they send them? Or is that Honda dealer just like pulling the bikes out of a crate, installing handlebars, making sure that throttle cables are smooth, correcting the jetting and airing up the tires? I mean, I don't know. I've never seen a new dirt bike. Yeah, I, I actually, that's a really good question. I have absolutely no idea. Like, are they, you know, do they actually put fluids in the bike? Is there like a break-in procedure that gets done? I mean, I'm sure a lot of things have to be done. Hopefully everything gets, you know, looked at and torqued and, you know, test-ridden and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, is it, is that sucker pretty much like bars on in a big, big-ass crate ready to rock? Like, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, Yeah, interesting one. Well, anyway, let's get off the... uh we can get off the buzzkill industry stuff for a second and, uh, and answer customer or customer <laughs> listener questions. Um, how about this? Let's record again soon. I have one that's really good. Um, I've gotten two good feedbacks that are, uh, the belief that maybe Nika is prepping the future to not deal well with being polite with the bike industry. Um, so, if you're out there and anyone is frustrated because we didn't like the way that Nika breeds the next generation of interactions with the bike shop, we got a lot of good feedback from that. So if you didn't think that was appropriate, well, a lot of people did because they've seen it from the other side of the question or the other side of the counter. So, yeah, no, it's all interesting stuff. You know, we have, we obviously have a very skewed viewpoint, right? Cause we work in a bike shop and I think it's easy for people to think that we're just a bunch of whiny bitches. We are. And you know, in some cases maybe that's, and maybe that's true. Right. But we're just telling you what our experiences are. And I mean, you got to understand from my viewpoint, my number one thing is like customer satisfaction. Like that's what we do, right? We're trying to get people stoked out. We're trying to get people, you know, with problems that they need fixed done, you know, find miracle solutions for people, get people rolling. Right. But at the same time, like in general, it's not just bikes. It's just everything in general. We're just, everything is getting so much faster and more accessible. And, you know, there's a lot more transparency in a lot of things, which can be really good. But what's crazy is how ill prepared the general population is. Right. Like if you're going to go take a road trip, you know, stuff you put in your own car to make sure what happens if you get a fucking flat or are you just going to like call some company and hope they help you out? Do you have like a full size spare? Do you have a plug kit? Do you have a compressor? Do you have a jack? I mean, like all these things are really fascinating to me. And I'm just so surprised how many like full blown adult customers we have who are, this is their number one primary hobby is racing fucking mountain bikes and they don't have a spare bike or any spare parts. Zero. I just find that so bizarre. Like what happened to, what happened to preparation? It's really weird. And everyone gets so, everyone gets so bummed out when I cannot stop what I'm doing and do a miracle fix. Again, I love doing miracle fixes. Trust me. Like I want to, but at some point I cannot, like (laughs) I can't, uh, I cannot be the firefighter for everybody's fire. I just, I can't like at some point you have to get, you have to use the system, like get in the queue. I can have you done on X, Y, Z date. Hey, I have to order a part. Hey, that's weird. It has to go to the, you know, vendor to take a look at it. Like there's no, everyone's so impatient. And, uh, 
I don't know. It's just crazy. In my life, I just think in everything that I do, whether it's my house or cars or bikes or whatever, motorcycles, I don't think I've ever gotten into a situation where I'm like, oh shit, I can't do what I need to do. Or if I do, I just find another solution. But I have like, you know, maybe take care of your shit or (laughs) prepare a little bit, have a spare, have a backup plan, have a second vehicle, have a second bike, you know? Right. It's just, that's so, it's so bizarre. It's not that I don't want to fix people's stuff. Absolutely. That's what we do. No, but here's the thing. Everybody's Here's the thing. Everybody's stuff is a fire drill. Oh my God, my, my tires are flat. I've got to go to a ride. I've got to go to a race. You know, dude, what? <laughs> Why didn't you not look at these like yesterday maybe or something like that? Like, good God. It's crazy. What were you saying? You know, and, and here's the thing. And no, if, if someone thinks that we're just like whining more after we said we weren't going to whine, like when someone's like, and we're a much smaller shop than you, but our scale is the same, you know, like, myself tim glenn andrea there's four people that work in service for our whole shop like there's not much that we can it doesn't take much to overwhelm us is what i'm getting at you know so so you know it's an interesting factoid because we're we're in between some stuff but i'll let you know uh full-time mechanics i have four full-time mechanics including myself for what's for all stores no for my main location right now. I mean, that's just a, a factor of we're in between some stuff. And I've got like a couple, like two part-time people, but that's really it. I mean, I've got four, I have four people who work 40 hours. Well, we have three that work 40. Like it's, it's crazy. And one guy's part-time. Gotcha. But anyways, like somebody's yeah. like, well, I need this now. And I just wanted to be like, I can just like kind of point and be like, I want to be like, yeah, but these people are giving me a week to get this done. So... I don't know what to tell you. Like this person came in on Tuesday and I told them I would have it ready on Friday so they could go ride Saturday. You're here on Friday telling me you want to ride on Saturday and somehow you feel like you're more important than them. Like, no, if you want to be mad at somebody, I want you to track down Jimmy, Sally and you know, Lucy and scream at them for dropping bikes off with me and making me busy. Don't don't be mad at me because other customers beat you to the queue. Like, and everyone's like, well, you guys used to never be booked out. And it's like, yeah, well, there used to be six miles of trail in town. And there used to only be one legal trail that you could ride. And there used to be, you know, like rigid mountain bikes were cool with cantilever brakes. Like. It's 2019. Shit's cool. Bikes are on the map. Well, exactly. Bikes, bikes used to be really, bikes used to be really simple. And it's not that no one ever had a hard time or dealing with quirky stuff on old bikes, but holy shit, are we in complicated days these times? I mean, I'm, I'm diagonal like <laughs> e-bikes and, uh, you know, we got brakes and just all the standards we have. It's crazy. Again, it's not, it's not meant to be a whining thing. It's just that we, we live in a very different, uh, in a different time. And the fact that people want very complicated machines right. fixed immediately, like I, I go back to the car thing. I can't imagine outside of getting something really basic done, which is the akin to basically getting a tube put in your bike, which we absolutely do on the spot. You want some crazy thing diagged and then fixed on your car and you think it should be done in 24 hours? I don't know. That's, um, you know, in some cases, absolutely that can happen, but most cases, no, (laughs) that's not going to happen at all. Like that's, that's freaking craziness. Yeah. I mean like perfect. Anyway, it's all, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. But you know, like let's take a new, uh, I say new, let's take a road bike, cable actuated road bike, you know, so rim brake cable actuated with, uh, cartridge bearing hubs. I can do, literally everything to that bike if you didn't interrupt me i could probably do everything to that bike in oh god three hours would you say that's right kenny oh basically doing a frame up uh more like let's say four hours like tear this bike down new cables and housing new bottom bracket new hub bearings new chain rings new cassette new chain put it back together four hours you could get that all done no no i think i think that's i think that's very very reasonable for a single person yep 100 percent. let's like 
best to do everything, you know, like a mountain bike these days. Like I've gotten really good at this, but doing Yeti switch infinity link service. So taking the entire switch infinity link apart and back together, that takes me like 40 minutes these days. And if somebody wants to email in and tell me they do it in 10, I'm going to tell you that you don't follow the instructions because I say I do it in 40. Well, there's always those people. Yeah, that is, there was someone that argued with me that they do internal routing on a road bike. Uh, so new, I think it was when we were talking about back in the day when SRAM was doing the, uh, when they had their first. Yeah. 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 The hydro hydro uh, road deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was basically telling someone like, yeah, that's generally like a two hour thing. And they're like, yeah, if it takes you more than 30 minutes and you were my employee, I'd fire you. <laughs> it's like, you, sir, are a moron. You are not pulling off an entire setup uh, with internal routing and hydro lines and everything. And then redoing that all on a road bike and wrapping the bars in 30 minutes. Like you are high. <laughs> I would be really sad. Uh, so there will be those people that have never actually done it. Uh, so what? Well, anyway. And, and the other thing is, just being busy in season, um, you know, it's very easy just to say, and this is just a, a little bit of a gripe, um, since this is now apparently the gripe show, but that's okay. That's what we do. It's good for people to, you know, understand what we deal with and what we see and our viewpoint on stuff, whether it's right or wrong. Anyway, everything that we do for the most part, you know, outside of like frame up builds and really wacky stuff, most of the stuff we do on average it should take us, if we're uninterrupted, I don't know, call it 30 minutes or maybe less. So yes, indeed, there are a lot of things that do not take that long. The problem is I have 40 of those things that I have to do in a day. So you saying like, oh yeah, that should be really easy. Well, yeah, it is. But you know, I have these other 40 things that are committed to that I've promised to other people. So to me, to make your day go good, I've got to make someone else's day go bad. And people just cannot understand that. They just don't they just don't get it. I think what sums it up really well is the other day I was sitting at my workbench and what I do is I wrap one handlebar and I jam a spanner wrench over the tape. I don't cut it or anything. I just jam a spanner over to hold it in place. I wrap the other bar. I look at everything. I decide where I'm gonna trim it. I trim it. I trim the other one. They're good. You know, that's how I do it. And then I keep the spanner wrench handy. So if somebody hands me a telephone or if the phone rings like five times, I'm like, well, shit, I got to answer this phone. You can just jam a spanner wrench over the tape. It holds the tape in place. It's sick, right? And I mean like a little prong spanner. Yeah, I do the same thing. Anyways, um, the other day, a customer friend, so like customer friend, kind of like rounded the corner to my workbench. My workbench is like the closest to the check-in counter and the sales floor. And... I'm eating a plate of uh, drunken noodles from the restaurant next door to us. And one of the noodles falls off of my fork and onto my workbench. And in the bent, in the stand behind me, there's a road bike that I haven't touched for like an hour and a half. One side taped with a spanner wrench on it. I'm eating noodles because I'm like dying. And a noodle lands on my workbench and I just take this greasy, like probably sealant covered hand and just pick the noodle up off the bench and like shoved it in my mouth. And he just looked at me like, holy shit, dude. And I just kind of like paused and I was like, oh yeah, that was kind of gross, huh? And he's like, you've had a day, haven't you? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's just been that kind of day. And again, it's not that I don't want to make your day, but like, you know, sure, it only takes... 20 minutes to wrap handlebars. But when do those 20 minutes happen? Sometimes those 20 minutes happen between 11 a.m. and 11.20 a.m. And sometimes they happen between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. You get those 20 minutes to do those handlebars because you answered the phone. You checked in this package. Fox called back about this RA. You did this. You did this. You did this. You did. And then you look around. You're like, oh, I still haven't wrapped those bars. I haven't had lunch. I'm about to pee my pants, you know, so. It's life, right? That's how it goes. Things are busy and you got to do them. Yep. So basically the moral of the story is, you know, <laughs> we're busy and we have a schedule for a reason and we'll help you out when we can, but good God, do your part. Like be semi-prepared, <laughs> have some kind of game plan going, uh, man, the number of sob stories that I get, like 
it's crazy. These are adults with, you know, with good jobs and the means to do lots of cool shit. And they just choose not to. It, it's really crazy. All right. So let's knock out one question and call it a show. Okay. Because this is going to be about doing right. what you're supposed to do if you have the means to do it. <laughs> so Gregory says, hello, Andrea, Matt, and Kenny. Andrea is not with us. Uh, love the show and appreciate hearing your opinions and banter. I've been seeing ads for stanchion lube for some reason lately. Creepy Google. The research I've done seems to go back and forth. Is it something you guys use or have used or recommend? Thanks, Greg. And his mountain bike blog is dadsondirt.com. So, uh... I'll give my one-line answer. If RockShox or Fox wanted me to use stanchion lube, they would make stanchion lube. Yep. So Boom. 100% absolutely not. Do not use that shit. If you take care of your fork properly, and this is where I'm absolutely going to side with the manufacturers. I love doing ghetto shit. Don't get me wrong. Like <laughs> I can't wait to, I can't wait to do stuff that, uh, that makes manufacturers nervous. However, Please just do lower services on your forks. People, everybody out there in listener land, all I do all day is like mess with full suspension mountain bikes. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, do your fucking lower service. Just do it. It's not that difficult. Most local shops will do it. You can learn how to do it yourself. You can pay to have it done. It's not that expensive. Just do it. If you do muddy races, you just have to suck it up and be an adult. And it might be two races because you do two six-hour races in freaking sludge. And you're just going to have to do lower service. That's the nature of it. We have exposed stanchions on our bikes. Just do the damn service. If you live out in the desert like I do, generally every 100 hours is fine. Um, when 100 hours rolls around, which for the average avid rider is every year, maybe every eight months, just do it. It's not a big deal. Pull the lowers off, clean it, new wipers, new oil. Everything's nice and clean and tidy and fresh. You can inspect stuff while you're in there. Uh, also while you're in there, probably not a bad idea. Maybe at least do the air spring, you know, and just put it back together. Boom, done. And holy shit, your fork will run amazing. So the stanchion lube, I had a customer who insisted on doing it, told him not to do it. And he brought in his uh, black-coated performance fox fork. He brought it back in six months, and it had no coating on it. It was missing. It was silver. And it was all bummed out and wanted fox to warranty it. Uh, so, yeah, please don't use that shit. It just wet sands your stanchions. So if you want to wet sand your stanchions, go for it. <laughs> because all that stuff just collects on the outside collects with the dirt on the outside and then sands your stanchion. So don't do it. It should be lubricated cleanly from the inside of the fork. That is how it is supposed to be. It's pretty much the equivalent of opening your hood and just like shaking oil onto your engine and then slamming the hood and saying like, I don't need an oil change. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is also the equivalent of, and a lot of people think this is actually a solution. It is not. I have a cartridge bearing that is grainy, that is squeaking or whatever, groaning. Uh, you got a bad cartridge bearing. Happens all the time. We work on bicycles. Bearings go bad. They're cartridges. You pull them out. You put new ones in. That's how you fix it. And there are people that will just throw whatever TriFlow or aerosol or whatever the hell they have laying around on top of the seal of a cartridge bearing. That does no that does no good whatsoever. It might magically make it a little bit quieter, but you have not fixed anything. <laughs> so same thing. Do not put stanchion lube on your fork. People will make everything. Just because a company makes something does not mean that it works. Yeah. And, and I hope everyone's adult enough to understand that. Like I've seen an ad for a clip-on thong bikini, but that doesn't mean that it's comfortable or going to stay on if you jump in the pool. <laughs> yeah. I mean... There, there are people since the beginning of time that have gone around and sold shit that they know damn well doesn't work, but they're good at marketing it. And they, uh, they find someone who wants a quick fix or something like, Hey, you know what? Cause back in the day and Hey, it probably actually worked pretty good. Um, 
yeah, you got a little headache, uh, have some cocaine. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt that that is, uh, that's going to help, but it's probably not the best solution <laughs> to the problem. Long term, it might be a temporary solution for a nagging problem, but it won't be a long term solution for a nagging problem. So, yeah, Kenny's exactly right. It's just like lubing cables. Don't like don't lube cables. Hey, if we're in the apocalypse or you're out in the middle of nowhere or whatever, yeah, if you lube a cable, it's probably going to be better today than it was yesterday, but it's not going to be good tomorrow. Right. Um just put on new cables and housings. Good god. Like just put on new cables and housings. It will run awesome. So, yeah, same thing. Just <laughs> do your lower services people, please. All right. That's a show with Kenny begging you to service your lowers. This is the 13th episode of just riding along. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again really soon.